Welcome to the Cricket's Sidecar, where we go a little further into a story of note with the person who wrote it. Okay, well, we are here back at the Cricket. I'm Chris Mitkin, the lifestyle editor, and we are once again sitting with Mark Stoll, the owner of Manchester by the Book and reader of all things marvelous. And he writes for the Cricket regularly, and most recently, he wrote um, for us, he wrote for us about visiting people's houses to buy their books, which I find fascinating because I always wonder what you've walked into and what you've seen. And you chronicled sort of a day in the life, but um, so you can tell us a little bit about, about those house visits, but I'm also really curious about some of the like crazier ones or some of the things that you've uncovered or you've been surprised by. Um, well, a house, well, I was thinking about this today, and one of the interesting things about a house call is when people call you to the house to sell your books, it's usually a, like a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, so they have no idea what to expect right. um, from a used book deal or anything like that. So you're going in there, and a lot of them are very guarded, and um, it's, they're sort of a cynical phrase in the trade. The less they know about books, the more difficult it's going to be. <laughs> But um, uh, so typically you go into their house. What what I do is I just assess the books, come up with a price that I think is fair off of the price. If they want to sell it to me, they do. 99.999% of the time, they're like, great, uh, we'll do that. Very occasionally, um, they'll say, uh, no, I want my uncle to look at them first or oh, whatever. But a curious thing that happens is if I go and I only want two books, they're reluctant to do that because they'll say, like, there'll be a wall of books and I'll be, oh, these are all for sale. And they'll say, oh, those are all for sale. I'll pick out two. And they'll be like, not those two. <laughs> <laughs> that happens very frequently if you're really? only going to buy a couple because I think there's a thing like, oh, he wants those. Now they have value. Right. And now they're not just these objects. And so that happens all the time. I had that happen at this um, interesting house call where... I went up, I was there for like a whole day. I went upstairs, I picked out these two things and this guy came over and said, those are the ones we want. <laughs> and I was like, how did you know that those are the ones you want out of all these books? But hey, that, that works out. I had two house calls in Marblehead that were very interesting. And strangely enough, a little bit typical, even though they sound so outlandish. So this, these brothers called me up and they were like, come to our house. And uh, the person was in a... I think it's the right word, agoraphobic. Mm. He hadn't left his house in like 30 years. Okay. And so um, I went there and, um, you know, there's piles and piles of things. Right. And he didn't have that good books. And, okay. um, but the most interesting thing was um, I went down to the basement. They said there's books in the basement. And in the basement, there was a pile of mail that was 30 years worth of mail. No. And what happened was he would open the cellar door, he would get the mail from, you know, the mail came through the door, he would open the door, chuck it down the thing, and that was it. And then these brothers came in and there was 30 years worth of mail there. Oh my God. But then they called me back like two weeks later and, and that guy had passed away and his father had passed away like two weeks later. Mm. His father was also agoraphobic and only lived like five doors down from him and I said how sad is that that they didn't they would not visit, visit each it other. was that because you know, <laughs> you know? I'm sure there are degrees of agoraphobia uh, but then the father had great books 
And uh, so I bought those books. And but I was like, oh, what a tale! And that's you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I've been in a lot of houses where, like, I think, you know, a lot of times it's like a single person and books are a big comfort to them. Right. And so a lot of times, uh, I mean, very frequently, they've lost control of their house. And then you, you go in there and you're sort of like navigating that and the books are everywhere. and You just have to be like used to it and everything like that because everybody's always like oh sorry sorry and of I was course like, believe me i've right. been in all sorts of uh, yeah situations. but we all do it but you know but you, I... you come to realize that it is it is quite personal your book yes. collection and then here you are lovely as you are kind of letting someone know what's worth something and what's not i mean you sort of there's like a whole like i remember i used to live in haight ashbury and we would we would take our clothes to secondhand clothing stores and you know you'd feel very judged by this you know 20 something who was like yeah no <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, it was sort of this horrible experience. So I'm oh. thinking it's kind of the same. Or even I know that you and I have spoken about the sad fact that oftentimes someone has died. Yes. And sometimes you've, you've talked about, like, no. you get to go in even alone sometimes and no. there's a presence. Too. Yeah, well, that's always interesting when, cause when someone's died. A lot of times, um, you know, I'll be in there and it takes hours to look at, through the books. And so I'll be in there and you'll sort of see the books and you sort of get to know the person whose books they are and what they liked and whatever. And a lot of times in the books, there's stuff, you know, from their life. There's photographs, there's letters. Uh, a lot of times there's money. In, in, but in bachelor's apartments, um, they, uh, there's always a stash of uh, money. Of go uh, money? Yeah, like in a in a book. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Well, how much money are we talking? Like, what's a stash? Is a stash like, like 80 bucks or is a stash like, like 3,000? Uh, 3,000 bucks. Okay. I found $3,000 in a, in a book before. Yeah. So if you've purchased the book. No, well, that one, I, I was there and um, the attorney was there. The guy okay. had died. It was in Beverly Public Housing. And I was like, look what I found. And he was like, great, I'll make sure that goes to the family. <laughs> right. <I was> like, <laughs> but, um, but other times I found like, you know, there's a book and there's like a $20 bill every third page and stuff like that. Fascinating. And stuff like that. But a lot of times it's like, and poetry, there's a lot of poetry. This, you, uh, it's so funny, I was just going to ask you about this because I remember we were talking in the shop one day and you said some of the best poetry you've yes. read has yes. been found in books. Yes, it's like poetry between people where it's just for them. That's the audience of one. And so there's no like pretense about it. They know it's never going to be read by anybody. And it's just like some of the poems are just like so beautiful. Some of the cards are just like so nice. I have actually a, a collection of stuff I've found in books that is like thousands and thousands, mostly 99% bookmarks. Have you ever just sort of stumbled into like a complete and total gem, I'm guessing, on some of these? You've been doing this for how long? How long have you been going into people's houses like 25 years i've been uh doing house calls no i find gems uh uh all the time um you know that that um you know you didn't know was there or or whatever and um you just or it's something you don't know about until you like research it or something like that so like but, first edition rare illustrated yeah if it's obvious you know I'd, i'll know about it and you know i have to pay for it um, but if it's n like not obvious uh, and then you research and then you find it's a gem, you know, it's sort of like you have to come up with a price that sort of includes that sort of, an, it's sort of a art, but mm. you have to come up with a price that they're very happy with. And then that includes that. And then I always used to be when I first 
uh, started out, I was always have this sort of consigliere who's a, a, as, as big a bumbling idiot as I am. I used to call him and uh, say, oh, I found this really rare book at this house call. Should I call them and send them more money? Ah. And he always said, well, if you overpay them, are you going to call them and ask for your money back? <laughs> you know, cool. and I was like, oh, and he's like, as long as you didn't like, you know, find a thousand dollar book and say like, oh, I give you $10 for that. Right. Which brings me to my favorite story from um, King of the Hill, which is one of my favorite <laughs> television shows of all time. Interesting. But King of the Hill, he, uh, uh, Hank Hill, the main character, he found a fossil in his yard. And uh, so he's like, oh, a fossil, what am I going to do with it? And he brings it to the um, local college, to a professor. And this is sort of a famous uh, line in the antique world, in the used book world. The professor says, that's so terrible, I will throw it away for you. <laughs> and he throws it away. Thanks for coming in. And then Hank Hill leaves, and he's like, what a find! <laughs> and he finds it. And by the time Hank Hill goes back to his house, his house has been declared a national historic site, and they have dug up the entire yard, like, looking for these fossils. But that is a, that is a thing. It's like, you know, when you right. go to someone's house, what do you pay and whatever. But it's just like, you just have to make a good faith uh, offer. A good, yeah, and everybody, if everybody's happy, it's a good deal. I yeah. mean, my dad sort of taught yeah. me that early on in negotiating. He's yeah. like, if everybody's happy, it's a good deal. Yeah, like, and it's like, if you find, like, say you find a $200 book, how long does it take you to sell that? Sometimes it takes you eight years to sell that. And what is the cost of whatever to sell that? Over it. So what do you pay for it? It's all, in the used book world, everything's up in the air. Okay, so you're just winging it mostly. <laughs> yeah. What you want to do is you want to find the rare stuff at like a rummage sale where everything's like a uh, buck. Yeah. And you, so, so you don't have money in it. Like there's a lot of like, when you go to the Boston Antiquarian Book Fair, uh, you know, the number one complaint is like, oh, I have a lot of money in these books and they're not selling. I've right. got to sell them. And that's a thing too, is if you, if you overpay for books, then you end up like the other day, I, the guy walked in and I, and I felt like I paid these things and I was like, oh, that was a lot of money for these books. And then I priced them very high and I'm like, that's a double whammy because now they're never going to sell. So I paid too much for them and they're never going to sell. So it's like, you got to come up with a sort of formula, which right, there was this guy, Joel Rains, who is sort of a typical uh, uh, bookseller in that he was uh, completely underground. He never paid taxes. He never, um, he was totally underground. And, uh, but I would see him at all the rummage sales and everything like that. And he said, you pay 20% of what you think you're going to sell it for. But he, uh, he said, too, um, he said, you, uh, you, you got to get over, and this is a lesson for life, ah. he said, you got to get over your fear of rejection. Oh. And if they reject you, so what? Uh, oh, you get over it. But So whenever I'm in a house, even if it's like five books for $10, I would say, oh, five books for $10, that's the thing. And they're like, oh, my God, you're a highway robbery. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, you know. <laughs> All right, thank but you that's for a, your time. But that's a thing with... Uh, house calls too is that's kind of sad but whatever for me is there's no place else to go if, if someone in Gloucester is like oh well we'll get another bid from somebody else I'm like oh okay go ahead there's no one right and there's right. no one and I mean they're the people who sell that most book dealers now 
uh, sell on from their basement online, right. but they don't. They just are book sale and rummage sale people, so they don't know how to go into a house call and buy books because they're uh. just and they're just familiar with the internet price, which is very wacky, and so they don't know the standard book sale trade. I was at uh, the Sudbury Public Library, and I was standing in line, and there's one of my friends. His name is Val, and he's also a character beyond character. And so the, you know, one of the volunteers came in. He's like, where are the books? And she's like, oh, this year we did something different. We uh, put, we threw away all the old books. They're all in the dumpster. And so Val <laughs> starts running to the dumpster and all the book dealers and everybody was clamming the, and they called the cops. No. And so they're in the thing. And so the cops are there. The cops come and they're like, oh, what's going on? They don't want to deal with this. And uh, they're like, okay, everybody at the dumpster. And Val refused to get out of the dumpster. And he's like, I'm finding good stuff. And uh, the, the, the cops were just drove away. And the minute they drove away, everybody else got back in the dumpster. And then the volunteers are coming. We're going to call off the sale. It was okay. And it was just like, oh, it was just this... Uh, this thing, and then the other dumpster diving thing was—it's actually a famous uh, case. It's if you Google it, you can find out. But this guy, for years, was uh, taking uh, John Updike's trash from uh, Beverly Farms. He had a circuit where he would go to through Beverly Farms and take all the bottles and cans, and then he took Updike's trash. And then he came into my shop, and he's like, oh, "I got a story for you," and I was like, "All right." He's like, well, I've been doing this, and uh, I've been putting it. The other stuff he sells, you know, the antiques or the ball, whatever he can, but that stuff he had put in a closet. He's like, you want to buy it? And I was like, no. And uh, and he still has it. And he's moved to Austin, Texas, and he he runs an ice cream truck. And I know this because I googled him. Someone mentioned it, and I googled him, and he still has the update trash. And uh, on the Updike Society website, every once in a while, it'll say, look at what I found in the trash. And he has this unbelievable oh archive of Updike stuff. Oh, it feels like such an invasion of privacy. <laughs> well no, done, but he, you're but not he, buying but, it. But he said that he would run into up, the Updikes uh, at the putting out their trash, and they never, they were like, oh, go okay. for it. Okay, all right, that's a little bit better. Yeah. And apparently it is, once it's in the trash, um, it's uh, yeah. fair game. Yeah, that's true. That part's true. So. Good to remember. But, but still, <laughs> fascinating. But that's the thing with, like, uh, I've been on Facebook Marketplace recently. Right. And that was interesting. Um, I got a house call out of that because there's these people, and they had all these photos of these walls of books in their basement. And uh, I called them, and they were like, oh, yeah, everything's a dollar, and um, you can come over. And then, but so I came over and I bought 60 books for a dollar and I started talking to them and they had carted these thousands of books of which of the thousands, there were 60 that were resaleable from Canada to Texas to here. And I was just like, oh, and I always find that too with like, I went to this, um, uh, storage, I get called to storage facilities all the time. Oh, fun. And then, but I'm just like, you should never put books in a storage facility because, like this, people they were they I they said, can you take them all? And I was like, sure. And there was nothing there. They were, there was nothing resaleable. And they had had them in the storage facility for fifteen years. Oh, so God. they paid like oh God nine hundred dollars a year for fifteen years to store these books that. Were, and I was just like, 
No. <laughs> I think it's like a lot. I think there's a real emotional bond, though. I mean, you know, yes. I mean, I know that even when I moved from San Francisco to Europe and it was a big decision, like, if we're going to be there for five years, do we store it? Do we ship it? Hmm. Letting go of some of those books, it was oh. really... So I think that happens, people. It's like you're the history of your intellect oh. or your life or oh. you're just everything. It's you're schlepping it along with well, you. Well, I was in Cambridge and there was a uh, fairly famous art historian and he, had, he was like on a sixth floor walk up. There was no uh, <laughs> elevator. And he sold me a ton of books and it was a nightmare getting him down. But I and he was moving to Los Angeles. And I said, you should sell me all of these books, right. you know, for a very good price. <laughs> and I'll, you know, get them out of here for you and whatever. Because to bring them to Los Angeles is going to cost you like $20,000. It's yeah. like a tractor trailer full of books. Oh, yeah. And he's like, no, I've uh, read these books and I feel comfortable with them around. And uh, right. so it's Right, like, it's a reminder. I know. Yeah. I think it's good. I've I've made the decision. Yeah, I think getting. I don't know. I think it's it's everybody's different. But there's something actually pretty cool about just letting them all go, like they find new yes. homes, like in your store. Yeah. Well, I always felt like I wouldn't mind if some. Well, I would never do it. But I always felt like it would be interesting if I sold every book in my store to somebody and then started anew. Mm. That would be interesting. Oh yeah. You know, because then I'd have a complete new stock. I mean, the stock does turn over completely because yeah, when I first started I made a little mark I went down to my parents basement and I gathered up all the books and I made a little mark in every book and for the first like 10 years that I was there I would eventually I would see though that little mark and I'd be like oh I had this from the beginning but now I never uh really never there's got to the be mark, a couple so. left it's like an easter egg hunt now I'm gonna start looking for what does the mark look like the we mark's just price. a little squiggly uh line underneath the price because i priced them all oh, too okay yeah i know you handwrite the price in all of them it's, yeah. yeah so you recently came into a whole set of cat books and you yes. wrote about it which and i've been seeing them in your storefront and on instagram yeah well that was that was uh well she, i didn't i sort of recognized her but not you know when you're in the thing you're sort of looking at the books and i was chatting with her but not what but uh, a bunch of the books she had bought from my store because the price was in there ah. so that was kind of interesting um, but she was a librarian at the Belmont Public Library her whole um, career. And then she just was like interested in cat books. And then you could tell because she had all these reference works on Children's Illustrated and she got more and more into it. And that happens at house calls too a lot of times. Is um, This is a digression, but there was this guy and he was in a wheelchair and he had died. And his whole life was World War II books. But it was weird because he put them around his house in the order that he had bought them. And when, he, when you came in, and I was like, oh, these aren't that good books. And then it got better and better and better. And then the final room was the, the most choice World War II books you could possibly buy. And it just, he had learned from the thing, like, oh, these are kind of fluffy and don't have much information, but these are the stuff. And you could tell with her cat books, too, that she had started out, anything with a cat in it, I'm going to get. And then, oh, there are these artists who are really interesting, and I'll buy all those and whatever. And you could see her, um, you know, development in that thing. And so that was very interesting. And that was with her, too, was, I don't know whether she thought I wildly overpaid for them, but 
I don't know if she's going to listen to this, but <laughs> then she, <laughs> I she, hope so. I'm, I'm, op- I'm, I'm emptying the van, and she keeps on coming out with boxes I hadn't seen, oh. and being like, "Oh, these are with it too," and they were full of great books, and it was just like, "Oh, that's uh, that's nice." But it's but also uh, when you buy a collection of one subject, that's kind of what you want mm-hmm. because then you see you sort of learn about that subject subject like sort of thoroughly like cat books there's like a million billion ones that are just like nonsense they're just like right. someone was like what am i going to write a book about oh cats boom 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 yeah and then it's just like whatever but then there's really you know it's still the same subject a book about cats but someone who's really done a great job and really does it and you see sort of the difference and you sort of instinctively can be like oh that's a good book the last thing i'm going to ask you now is what are what are you thinking of for next time what's coming from you or do you have an idea yet uh well i was thinking of uh the difference between a a collectible book and just a reading copy because Uh. i strangely enough am not a book collector a lot of my, almost all my friends who are in the book trade really? are book collectors in some way. I just assumed you were. I'm not because I just couldn't care. I just am like, like I was like, okay, for my development in the book trade, I should become a book collector. And so I was like, okay, I'll collect all of Billy Collins. Mm. But then I was like, I don't care if it's a first edition or a second printing. I don't care if it's a hardcover or paperback. I just want to read it. And I sort of, and that's sort cool. of holds me back is I just don't care. You know, I'm just like, oh, I want a good read. You I know, think that's actually great. <laughs> books frankly. are books are cool. You know, and collectible books are cool, but the content and also, you know, I see it from the house calls. I'm gonna die. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> You've looked ahead. I know unless, how this is gonna uh, end. <laughs> unless you uh, unless you do book collecting at a, like a super high level, and you're collecting like manuscripts and something that you can give to Harvard right the rest of it is going to go to some dirt mission like me <laughs> and just get sold in a used bookstore for five bucks it's like your whole you know oh my doing? Billy Collins some book dealers can be like oh yeah, yeah two bucks me 20 bucks for all 50 <laughs> you know and you spent like but you see that with the people point. who know who are book collectors and know like there's this really super guy and his whole life he'd been collecting these books and but he knows the book trade because he's been doing this thing. And so he was just like, yeah, I had a lot of fun doing this. This is great. But now they're for you and they're back in the uh, mix of things. And right. uh, that's that's the way uh, to do it. Yeah. But, but that whole thing of like, like people are like, everybody knows the term first edition. Right. And everybody's sort of like, oh, I think this is a first edition. And it's just like, that's fine. But who cares? <laughs> Really? You don't actually say that, though. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I don't. But I think it for He's myself. Like it's like, oh, uh, it, you know, w- there was a famous actor, uh, Mickey Rooney. Oh, yeah. And he collected second printings of books as a joke <laughs> because he like, could get them for you know the, the first ed- first edition, first printing of Catcher in the Rye is worth ten thousand dollars. The third printing is worth fifty bucks. Right. What's the difference? There's none. Story's it's still just there. it's just a game. It's yeah. a, the book collecting game. It's called, but it's like that thing interests me. And why? I mean, I guess theoretically, you feel closer to the author because that was you know right. it's closer to the original thing. And I can see that with signed books. Although signed books now have become such a commodity, 
mm. that you know when the, when oh, a famous right. author comes out with a book, they sign two thousand five hundred copies of it, and it's just like oh, you know, right? That's what. It, and I could see like oh, if Billy like I did have. Um, of course, I sold it and didn't keep it from my collection. But I had I bought from John Updike. I bought uh, Billy Collins' book that had his review in it, handwritten. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's quite personal. You yeah, know, that's and that's cool. you know this one great mind, you know, greatest book reviewer in American history, and he's writing about <laughs> Billy Collins. And but then I was like, oh, I'm gonna sell that. You know, I don't need to, I don't need to keep that. Right. It doesn't change your Billy Collins experience, generally speaking. Yeah. And I guess if I found like Billy Collins letters that he you know, that were like secret or something like that, I would be very interesting in reading them. Right. But I wouldn't be interested in keeping them. And owning you don't need to own them. I mean that sort of yeah. that whole sort of But the the people who do who are collectors are whatever, basically make the trade go. So you they absolutely have to be there. Yeah. I'm Otherwise, sure. everything would be ten bucks, and you'd never right. <laughs> make any money. More. But I do yeah. think that that the, the beauty there also is they're going to put the effort into preserving these things too. Although one one thing that contradicts what I everything I just said <laughs> was that I did buy recently some very early first editions of Emily Dickinson's uh, books. Oh, you showed me one that yeah. day. And then the the um, story behind her early books is so fascinating in that when she died she had no books and she told her sister to burn all letters and she just had a trunk full of poems and then that transition from this life where nobody knew her she barely left her room to being this world famous poet through these books is fascinating and that object is like a piece of amazing cultural history so I felt like, oh, I'm holding this object that is phenomenal. I don't want to keep it, but right. <laughs> I'm glad it but exists. But I'm going to reach over and, and touch glad, it a couple times before I let it go. And I'm glad that people want that. Yes. And are willing to pay money for it. And that is important. Agreed. So, all right. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to your next piece. And then we'll have you back here and we'll chat about it. And God only knows what else. It'll be great. <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you, Mark. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidecar. To hear more Cape Ann stories like these, subscribe to the Sidecar podcast from thecricket.com on your favorite podcasting platform.